Thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of Bossier City Sermon Podcast. For more information, including our live webcast schedules, please visit www.pobc.cc. But I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. God has been so good. And this year, we're expecting great things to happen at the Pentecostals of Bossier City. And if you haven't been coming faithfully, now's a good time to get started because good things are happening. Amen. Do you feel it in the atmosphere? You feel like good things are happening. Amen. You know, in the midst of all that goes on in our life, and a lot of us, we experience great things, and then we experience things that aren't so great, things we're proud of and things we're not so proud of. If you glance back over your life, really and truthfully, it's the trouble that you've been through that actually defines your life, that, that it's pretty much made you what you are today. After all you've been through, and you took a licking, and you kept on ticking, and it just, it just seems like that, that God's been with you, and he's been faithful, he's been kind, he's been just to you every step of the way. When you look back over history, not just in your life, but in American history, you find that many of the, the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our time, are pretty much defined by the problems that they solved, the things that they encountered that they made right, the things that they took, the solutions that they brought to the table. Um, I've got quite a few books in my office on Abraham Lincoln, and one of the things that, that really... Uh, defines his uh, presidency was the fact that he encountered the cruel part of slavery and the way he dealt with that issue. Uh, he won some fame for that. And even when you look at a lot of the different presidents in years gone by, and most of them that are popular figures among us or that we hear about in history are those that faced things, those that encountered problems, those that encountered situations that maybe were not the fondest of situations. When you look at men like Franklin Roosevelt and how he's defined that basically the way he handled the Great Depression, World War II taking place, Harry Truman is remembered for his decision regarding the atomic bomb. Uh, you see men like Ronald Reagan uh, in the 80s, how that he's always known for his courageous confronting of communism and how that he stands in front of Mikhail Gorbachev and says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And he's remembered by these things that he's faced. Problems and trouble are a part of life, not just on a presidential platform, but it's a part of our everyday life in Bossier City. It's a part of things that we have to deal with, and sometimes problems and troubles comes not only from things, but from people. Anybody found that to be the case? Anybody feel like sometimes your life would be better if God would just kind of take somebody out of your existence, or maybe take them out of their existence? You feel like maybe you could run an aisle. You could really get a good Holy Ghost 
hold down if you would please if you if you somebody if god would come in and take all the crazy people out of your life and there there are things that some things we we deal with in life are things that we we have to deal with because of choices that we make in our life and i will say this that one of the greatest revelations outside of the oneness of god is that people are not perfect In fact, that felt so good, I believe I want to say it again. People are not perfect. Somebody say, people are not perfect. And if you don't get that revelation, I will tell you right now, the imperfection of people will drive you crazy. It will ruin not only days of your life, it will run weeks of your life. It will ruin months of your life. I have seen people that actually quit the church because of the imperfection of people. Come on, somebody. So what happens, we have to change our perspective because none of us, none of us, I know that you think you are perfect. But none of us, even myself tonight, none of us are perfect. We have not reached perfection. God places us inside the church. He gives us what's called the five-fold ministry of the church. And the writer in Ephesians chapter 4, what did he tell us? The writer Paul said this, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. The apostle, what he is indicating here and letting us know is that the ministry is given for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, we all need to be worked on. We all have rough edges, so we all have to be worked on at times. We still have to be preached to. We still have room to grow as Christians and as people of God and for improvement in our life. And it really doesn't take a lot of skill. I tell you what, I'm, I'm a professional problem locator. It does not take any skill to point out a problem. It does not take any skill to point out imperfection. You don't have to have a special gift to spot a problem. Anybody found that to be true? It doesn't take super spiritual people to find mistakes and to unearth things that are not right. It doesn't take super intelligent people to notice blunders that are made by other people. God can only use us when we're willing to be a part of the solution to the problem. What I have found out is that most of us enjoy discussing problems. Especially if it's somebody else's problem. Oh, I've got three amens and a few grunts out there. Somebody say, let the church say amen. 
We love to talk about problems. We just don't want to talk about our problem. We like to discuss your problem. We like to discuss her problem, his problem, their problem. But very few of us want to talk about our problems. And Paul warned us in his epistle not to become people that are negative-oriented, people that have a negative propensity about them. For the writer, of, the writer began to tell, he told Timothy one time in 1 Timothy 5 and 12, cast off their first faith. He said, and with all, they learned to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers. I guess that's where they got old tattletale out, right there. <laughs> tattlers and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. What I find out is I, I, I become a professional on things that I know very little about. I'm the only one in here willing to admit that. But I found out people talk a lot about stuff they don't know anything about. Talk about people they don't even know, never met before. But they've already come up with a definition for them. They've come up with a diagnosis for them. And you ask them, have you ever eaten with them? Have you ever been around them? No, not at all. I just heard this. Or somebody Facebooked it. Thank God for a media fast. And if we want to be like God, we have to be a part of the solution. The Bible begins by stating a very huge problem. It says in Genesis 1 and 2, and the earth was without form. Somebody say without form. It's void. It's dark. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And then God provided the solution in verse number 3. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God brought the answer to the problem. Even though he didn't have a lot to work with in the beginning, he still brought the answer to the problem. The Word of the Lord told us one time that the problem was is that the thoughts of men were on evil continually. But then the Bible gives a solution. It says Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his own house. The problem was the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage. But the solution was God sent Moses with a series of plagues and a message of deliverance for the people of Israel. You go through the word of God and you always find a problem. Problem, the Israelites dying after being bitten by a fiery serpent. And then the solution, a brazen serpent is fashioned and raised in the wilderness so that the afflicted could be healed. Then you look and you find a problem. The waters of Mara are bitter, they're deadly. But then the solution, a nearby tree is cut down and placed in the water and it brings forth healing. The problem, a man blind from birth, from his mother's womb. But the solution, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. God always requires human participation in a miraculous solution. We can't find answers outside of you and I. We've got to be a part of the solution. 
God's just not going to come down and do it for us without our involvement. We've got to get involved in the process. You can't, you, we, there's not, there's not going to be a blessing for anybody that's just coming and setting tonight. You're going to have to lift a hand sometime or another. And you're going to have to say hallelujah sometime or another. You're going to have to worship the Lord at some point. Somebody's got to press their way in so they can be touched by the power of God. Even though God has all power. He is the ultimate power of all powers. But he, in, he invites us to join in the process. In the process. Somebody say the process. Look at somebody and say it's not happening without you. I know some folks don't like that. You know some people they come and tell me a problem. And I say well what are you going to do about it? They want to know what I do about it. How about what you're going to do about it? Because if you don't do anything about it, it's not going to get taken care of. You have to decide, I'm going to get involved in this. Jesus even commanded one time, he looked at a, a dead man. A dead, somebody say dead man. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He even asked somebody that's dead to get involved in this thing. Somebody that's not even breathing to get involved. How much more you that can breathe and feel the air coming in and out of your mouth and nose tonight. Could I tell you, God wants us to get involved in this thing. If we're coming out of what we're in, we're going to have to do something. I said we're going to have to do something. Hallelujah. That's why the story of Nehemiah is so special. Because this man wanted something to happen. He said, I see the city of God. It's in all kind of disarray. And it saddens me. And the Bible says his countenance was sad. He was perplexed about the situation. And he said to the king, he said, won't you send me to Judah? Put me in the city he said, I want to build it. I want to do something about it. I want to get involved in this thing. I want to be a part of what's happening. We have to understand that this was not just any ordinary city that Nehemiah was, he, he, he was upset about. It was not just any old place. This was the city of God. This was Mount Zion. This was the beloved city. This was a special city. Nehemiah had a revelation. He had an understanding. If this was going to be the city of God, if this is a place of worship, then worship has got to be established in this place. If this once was a place where worship and praise went forth, there has to be an establishment of that. In fact, the Word of God even lets us know if you'll read Chapter 7 of Nehemiah, you'll find out that Nehemiah is addressed as, uh, there's a strange term in there called Tershatha. And basically, it, it simply means a strictness, a sternness, a seriousness. And when Nehemiah came in, there was something in his spirit that he was serious about the solution to this problem. He wanted something to happen. He was, he was upset about what was going on. And then the word of God tells us that there was, there was many priests that served around Nehemiah during that particular time. 
But there was also some volunteers that wanted to get involved in what was going on. And, and they wanted to serve in ministerial role and helping. And, but there was a dilemma that took place. There was a problem there. You can read it there in chapter 7 of Nehemiah. Because to serve you had to be of a particular lineage. You couldn't just be anybody. You had to, you had to be a part of a certain lineage to serve. And it was essential that you had to be a part of the sons of Aaron. He had to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were a Levite or you were disqualified from serving as part of the solution. And there were some individuals who presented themselves. And if you'll look down at verse 61 of Nehemiah chapter 7, if you'll look at the latter part of that verse, it says they could not show. They could not show their father's house. In other words, they couldn't prove their origin of birth. They could not prove where they had come from. And these priestly hopefuls were barred from ministering unto God. They, they, they couldn't minister until God said something different. He had to change some things. And they, they, couldn't, they couldn't be a part of what was happening because they had to prove where they had come from. And I am telling us tonight that today in the hour that we are part of, there needs to be a seriousness about the origin of our spiritual birth in the kingdom of God. If there ever was a time that we need to get serious about apostolic doctrine and origin of baptism and where you came from spiritually, it's in this hour that we are a part of. Is there anybody here that's been born again of water and spirit? Is there anybody in this house that knows what it is to be buried in the lovely name of Jesus? And I'm telling you, for this apostolic revival, we need to be serious about an Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 message. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter in. This is Matthew 7 and 21. And to the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth. Somebody say doeth. He that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me. In that day Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name. In thy name have we not cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them. I never knew you depart from me. Ye, work, ye that work iniquity. Just because. Somebody says, thank you, Jesus, and praise the Lord. Looks the part. Acts the part doesn't necessarily mean they know God. You have to have the right birth. You have to be in the right lineage. Nicodemus was a rabbi during the time of Jesus' ministry. And this man was a teacher who was extremely religious. Somebody say extremely religious. He was highly knowledgeable of the scriptures, but Jesus didn't hesitate in telling him, you, you religious person, you highly religious person, you must be born again. Cornelius was a devout man. Somebody say devout man. He truly believed in God. We're serious about the solution. He proved his dedication by his life of prayer, giving of alms, but he still needed to be reborn. 
That's why God had to send him a preacher. And Simon Peter journeyed to the city to preach the gospel to his entire house. And all of them must have needed the baptism of the Spirit of God. Because while the preacher spake, the Spirit fell on every one of them that heard him. Come on, apostolic somebody. This ought to make you happy that a preacher came one day to your place and preached to you a good apostolic message because neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must, we must be saved. Clap your hands to the Lord and shout to the Lord. We need to get serious about a new birth message that can change the lives of people. <laughs> Nehemiah, the Tershatha is what the scripture called him in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll share that verse in a moment. But the Tershatha, it related to Nehemiah. The sternness, the strictness. He said, we got to check and see the birth record. we got to know where they came from. Because we're trying to rebuild a city. And it's God's city. Notice what else he says. By the time he gets there, he's got the walls finished. He begins to show interest in gathering some people for worship. In fact, the congregation, the scripture says it grew up to over 42,000 people. It grew. It was a large gathering. And so he needed singers, he needed Levites, he needed porters. There was even a group that was designated, the Word of God said, to be keeper of the wardrobes. We might need to get some of those in our churches. <laughs> and Nehemiah needed, I won't chase that rabbit tonight, Nehemiah needed a lot of, he needed a lot of resources to meet the needs of those worshipers. So here comes the ugly word. He had to have an offering. Of course, that's an ugly word in some places, but not here in Bozier. Because I'm looking at generosity right here in the face tonight. I'm looking at generous people this evening. But when you look at Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 70, and some of the chief of the fathers gave unto the work. Somebody said they gave. They're serious about giving. And the Tershatha gave to the treasure. Nehemiah is getting involved in it. He gave 50 bastions of gold. Here he is, 530 priests' garment. And once again, he is called the Tershatha. This means he was serious about giving to the work of God. He didn't only take money. They needed wash basins for the priests to be fully prepared to offer sacrifices. They needed specific garments that only the Levites could wear. It'd be like somebody coming here tonight and taking up an offering and asking you for your bathtub. That was a wash basin. It'd be like us coming in here and asking for you to bring a suit of clothes, a dress, a shirt, a tie. The only way that this temple and the priest who served in it could really fully restore worship is for those people of Jerusalem to be generous people. The Word of God even marks some people and it calls them cheerful givers. I saw people this morning that gave cheerfully. 
I saw people this morning that came not begrudgingly, but they saw a one of our brothers and sisters in need, and they said, we're willing, we're willing, because they were serious about the solution. God doesn't just measure our gift. He measures the attitude of the giver. If you remember the story of the widow and her two mites, Jesus noticed exactly what she gave along with all the wealthy folks that gave that day, making their significant contributions to the temple treasury that day. And he made it very clear that she gave more than anybody in that room that day. And that's because he measures more than the monetary sum that we give. He measures the heart of that giver. Serious about generosity. Serious about giving. Because powerful churches are a result of giving people. Powerful churches are a result of giving people. A revival church is only possible where there are giving people. You ought to be thankful for a pastor that gives us opportunity to sow seed in the kingdom of God and give because we don't have what we have without Pastor Dean. We don't have the missionaries that we have unless we have a pastor somewhere with a heart for missions clap your hands and thank God for the generosity of the Pentecostals of Bozier City and thank God you're a part of it no gathering of people and I'm hastening to a close tonight but no gathering of people of God can be complete without the hearing of the word of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. That it pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching. To save them that believe. If the church is really going to be the church. We have got to have some word proclaimed. At some time, somewhere, during a service, the people of Jerusalem recognized their need to be taught. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1, it puts it like this. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that, there, that was before the water gate. We heard about some gates this morning. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel. We can find the origin of many of our church traditions right here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Why do we have a pulpit? Because Ezra the scribe used a pulpit in verse 4 of chapter 8. Why do we have raised platforms on which preachers stand? Because we can find it. The Bible says that Ezra stood above the people and that he opened the book in the sight of all the people in verse number 5. Why do we follow the customs of standing for the reading of the word of God? Because in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 5, we find that all the people stood up when the book was opened. Why does the minister customarily pray along with the reading of the scripture? Because Ezra, the scribe, says in verse, four, verse 6, Bless the Lord, the great God, at the time of the reading of the law. Why is it 
that the congregation sometimes is repeated or they repeatedly say amen during the preaching or the delivering of a message because the congregation responded in the same manner in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 6 when it said all the people answered amen and amen. Somebody say amen. Why do people get excited and raise their hands while the speaker is still endeavoring to get a point across and preaching the word of God? Because that's the way Jerusalem worshipped. That's the way the Jerusalem worshipers responded to the proclaimed word of God in verse 6. And one more time, Nehemiah, the stern one, the serious leader, the one who had a mission in his mind, he stepped up to give some input and he began to look at the group of people that were there that day. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 9, the Bible says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept, when they heard the words of the law, they're all crying about it. And then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat. That's what I like to do right there. Eat the fat, and then I get fat. And drink the sweet, and send portion unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy. Somebody say this day is holy. He's serious about this. He's already checked the birth record. He's already made sure he's got some givers on board. And now he gets down to this, and he says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There will be a time for weeping. This is what Nehemiah saying. There'll be a day for you to cry but Nehemiah says today just is not that day. He said if you can understand this word that you're hearing today, you ought to rejoice. There ought to be a shout on your lips. There ought to be a hand clapping going on in your voice. Hear me somebody if you hear the word of of God and you can understand it you ought to have a praise on your lip tonight there ought to be something in your heart saying thank you Jesus I wish we could stand to our feet and clap our hands and lift up our voice come on somebody this is the day that the Lord hath made and we need to get serious about rejoicing in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on somebody. The one sitting next to you is not your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Quit looking at all the imperfect people trying to find strength. You've got to get serious about the solution because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And Nehemiah is saying, hey, I know we all going to cry and we're all going to weep. And I understand there's time, to be, there's time to be sad. But we need to get serious about having some joy in our spirit and in our heart. Because the solution for some of you is to throw away your handkerchief and pick up your tambourine and shout a little bit in the Holy Ghost. 
Come on and clap your hands again. Come on, if you've got the ability to comprehend the preaching of the Word of God, it ought to stir something up inside of you. There ought to be joy in your spirit. Oh, you, you can come on. The rest of you can come on with these that have come. But let me, let me just say this. believe in my spirit that you will be better off living for God if you just simply start enjoying it look at somebody and say cheer up look at somebody else and say cheer up yeah Look at somebody and say, what are you ticked off about? Yeah. Preaching will make you stronger if you will enjoy it. The sermons that we preach will do you some good if you will enjoy it. And the very simple basic definition for explaining what joy is. It is to enjoy whatever you are doing. Some of you treat going to church like taking medicine. No wonder you've got thoughts of leaving the house of God. No wonder you can't get motivated. Dear Lord, you got to come to church and act like you got some joy in your spirit because God's been with you. Some of you's got a lot more to be thankful for than the praise that you've been giving God. I don't know about you. Big crowd small crowd I enjoy coming to church fast song slow song I enjoy coming to church old preacher young preacher I enjoy coming to church somebody needs to fall in love with just coming to church My style or your style? I enjoy coming to church. I enjoy it. Preaching about miracles or teaching about righteousness. I enjoy coming to church. I've got to close. A story is told of John F. Kennedy. He went over to France to visit the President Charles de Gaulle at that particular time of France. They're standing out in front of the presidential palace or something similar, a building similar to that, and somebody took a snapshot of that particular engagement. Them two presidential figures standing out there. An artist took that photo, that picture, and he painted, he painted 
that picture. But in that picture, he inserted a very beautiful woman in between these two presidents that actually wasn't even there that particular day. Beautiful, beautiful lady. Somebody heard about the painting of the two presidents. So when they got over to France to visit, they asked, they found, they located this old artist. And they wanted him to show them the photograph, the painting that he had painted. So he carried them into a particular room and he showed them this painting and there's this beautiful lady in between John F. Kennedy and Charles de Gaulle. And this American that had come over and was looking at this picture said, I was there that day. I don't remember that lady. I would have reckoned, I would have remembered this lady. She's a beautiful lady. I would have remembered her standing there. He said, who is the lady? He said, sir, he said, that's my wife. Well, this guy's old. He's feeble. And he, the artist said, would you like to meet her? He said, I sure would. So he goes in the back and he comes out. And there's a lady that's as old as he is. Shuffling along. Crippled. And frail. And he says, sir, he said, this is my wife. And he asked him about it. And the whole point was, is that he was painting her the way that he remembered her. Not how she was, or how she is, but how she was. And let me tell you about this apostolic experience. It's still as beautiful today as it was when I got it years ago. Is there anybody here that want to praise the Lord because he's gotten a little sweeter as the days go by? Is there anybody here that can thank God for a church that is still as real today as it was when you got in it? Come on and lift your hands right now. Lift your hands to heaven in the name of Jesus. Give us our passion back. Give us our joy back. Give us Holy Ghost anointing back in our spirit again. I pray tonight, God, you would revive somebody. Let them realize that this church is still as vibrant and as beautiful and as powerful as it was when they first got in this thing. And we give you glory and honor, God, because you're restoring the joy of our salvation because we're serious about the solution. We got to have the joy of the Lord. Put your hands together. We're going to praise him just a few minutes before we get out of here. Come on, this is what he's done for you. He's turned it. Turn 
turned it around for you. You have turned my sorrow into joy. You have turned my morning into dancing. You turned it, God. You have turned, you have turned it, Holy Ghost. As you go on your way rejoicing, remember the journey. It's about our walk. It's about our worship. It's about our war. And it's about our witness. And you can't be a witness if you're living in the doldrums. And you're always depressed and always sad. Nobody wants a depressed God or a sad God. He wants somebody that can change his life. So we got to leave and we got to tell this world that we got a God and a church that can make a difference. Somebody has got to get serious about putting some joy in your spirit. Clap your hands one more time. Put a smile on your face and be blessed.